Psalm 103, we're going to read one verse, we're going to spend some uh, more time in this entire psalm this morning, but uh, just to start out, we're going to start with verse number 13. The Bible says, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And uh, I am excited and delighted to talk to you this morning about our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being our Heavenly Father, and it is a joy and a privilege to be able to call you that. Uh, it's a joy to be in your house, to just all the people that have come to hear your word, uh, to worship together, and we pray now that our hearts would be open. We pray if anyone here today does not know you as Savior and cannot honestly, sincerely say that you are their Father, we pray that this would be the day of days when they would get saved and, Lord, that their life would be changed and their sins would be forgiven. Lord, we pray that you would hide us behind the cross of Calvary, help us to speak the Word of God with boldness. We pray that our hearts would be attentive, that the Holy Spirit would be the one that is doing the real speaking this morning. And, God, that you'd use us and this time together for your glory and honor and for each and every one of our help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we get into the message, I could tell you that there were many good things about my earthly father. I know when Father's Day and Mother's Days come along, I know it's a very emotional time for many of us. And I know that in this day and age we live in, and it's always been the case, that everyone's in a different walk in life. Uh, some of you are dads, and you're struggling with being a dad. Others, you've lost your earthly father, and so it brings up some emotions that really we prefer to just kind of keep a lid on them. Uh, some people have had wonderful earthly fathers, and others have had not so wonderful earthly fathers. I mean, an entire gamut of emotions can be evoked when we start talking about our fathers. I can tell you many good things about my father. I would say that he was a man of gentleness and kindness. And if you knew my father, you would say amen, that he certainly was a very gentle man. I know often uh, before, um, before Brother Ray Mosley went home to be with the Lord, whenever I'd shake Brother Ray's hand, those of you that knew Brother Ray, he had a very large hand, and it was almost as big as my dad's hand. But it was big enough to remind me of my dad's handshake, and I always enjoyed that. I know that um, Brother Jerry doesn't know this, but oftentimes when Brother Jerry Beaver is telling me stories, he has some mannerisms about him, I think maybe from the same kind of era that uh, my dad was part of, same kind of uh, culture. Uh, my dad was a redneck, brother. <laughs> and uh, sometimes he'll be telling stories and uh, just some of his mannerisms, I say, it's just a lot like my dad. And I always enjoy that little reminder. But he was a man of gentleness and kindness. He had a relentless work ethic. I mean, grew up in the farm, grew up getting up at 4 a.m. My dad literally could not eat breakfast until about 10 or 11. He could not eat breakfast at 7 a.m. because he grew up where they went out and did chores and they milked the cow. And I mean, they did literally four or five hours work before they would eat a meal. And he couldn't eat early. 
un, unrelenting work ethic, and he was that way until the day of his death. And uh, I can tell you that my dad had a genuine, sincere faith in Christ. And I think what uh, makes me the most emotional uh, as I talk about my earthly father is not just that I miss him, although I do, but I think about how that I didn't realize what I had until it was gone. The things that it seemed like, I guess, as a teen, as a young man, I, I really took for granted a lot of those good qualities, and I would see the things that I would be critical of, and the imperfections, and so forth. And now as I've gotten older, and my dad's been gone, in fact, God gave me 31 years of my life with my dad. He's been gone for 23, and you know, the last year that I had with my dad was one of the best years. I got to actually uh, uh, part-time work a job with him, and just a closeness developed and an appreciation that I had never experienced that, that last year of my dad's life. I personally think that God gave it to me and my family because God knew what he was going to do. But it was just a, a precious year. In fact, the last week of his life, he had came back to Idaho. He was working temporarily in California. He flew back up to Idaho. We celebrated his birthday. And you talk about a sweet time that we had with him. When we, uh, back in that day, you could, uh, you could walk your loved one to the actual um, uh, gate in the airport when they uh, board the plane. And my family, we all took him to the, the airport, and as we gave him a hug and he got on that plane, my wife and I are walking back to the, the, the car, and I said, there was just something about this past week, and it was precious, and I just, there was something down deep inside of me that I knew that it was a gift from God, and unknown to us that it would be uh, the last time that we would see him on uh, in, in this life, one thing that um, that I learned from losing my father as a 31-year-old man, still raising my children, is to how to learn how to turn that inner need for a father and the anchor of a father to turn that toward God, my heavenly Father, and that wasn't an easy process emotionally or spiritually. When my dad was killed in that accident and that foundation, that anchor was ripped out of our life, I, I, I remember how it just, I, I didn't, couldn't explain or understand how it was affecting me. But the Lord, my heavenly Father, spent about a year working on me and teaching me some things and preparing me because he knew that one day that I'd need to be that same kind of an anchor for my own children. But I am delighted this morning to be able to talk to you about our Heavenly Father. Notice in our opening text, verse 13, once again, it says, "...the Lord pitieth his children." Pity is a word that's been hijacked by our culture and been turned into something negative. 
Uh, I, I can remember times when I was a kid and either my mother or my sisters, when I'd be whining and complaining, they'd say, oh, you're just pitiful. Uh, so we talk about people having a pity party, and when we see that word pitiful, it's generally kind of in a negative connotation, but the word, uh, the word in its proper sense was not a negative thing whatsoever. And so if we could kind of roll back the clock and use the word the way that God intended the word to be used, um, we find in the scripture, James chapter 5, verse number 11, it says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. See, the Word of God says that God is pitiful, meaning He is full of pity. We see the end of it. Now, Job didn't feel like that the Lord was pitying him. Job, when he is going through his suffering, Job thinks that God doesn't even remember that he exists. And Job would think, God, if you would just slay me, I'd be happy. I'm, I, just, I'm, I don't want to live anymore. So Job was in the depths of despair, and we find no comfort whatsoever coming from his heavenly Father until we get to the end of the story. And I don't know about you, but that ought to give us some hope to hang on and hold on with whatever we're going through, because God hasn't forgotten. We may go through some tough times, and we may think that God is nowhere even near. We think He doesn't know and He doesn't care, but He does know and He does care. If you'll just hang in there and be patient like Job did. And listen, none of us are going through anything like what Job went through. And so Job found out in the end that the Lord is very pitiful. He's full of pity. How about 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8, where God tells us how we're supposed to treat one another with pity. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Now let me share with you what Webster's 1828 dictionary says about the word pitiful or pity. It means full of pity. Now listen to this. Tender, compassionate, having a heart to feel sorrow and sympathy for the distressed. And at the end, it says, this is the proper sense of the word. Now, I've never seen that in Webster's 1828 before. I'm sure that it appears, but he says, this is the proper sense of the word. He's trying to let us know that this is the way that this word was originally and supposed to be used, meaning full of compassion, a heart to feel sorrow. Can you imagine that, that our Heavenly Father, when we are feeling sorrow, that He is full of pity and He is feeling the same sorrow that we're feeling? What a joy it is to know that our Heavenly Father, just like a, a good, godly, earthly father, pitieth His children. We look at our children and no matter what they're going through, you know, there, there are times certainly when we're training and we're teaching our children and they make a mistake. And that, that we try to correct those things. Why? Because we are responsible fathers. We, 
We want to help them and we want to instruct them and we want to guide them. But sometimes there comes a time when, when, when our children are making mistakes and making a mess of things that we just got to say, you know what, I was there. I know what you're going through. You'll, you'll get it right. You'll figure it out. And that's the way that the Lord, when He looks down on His children, us if we're saved, and He sees us struggling and He sees us floundering, but He has the, His heart is full of pity toward His children. And instead of looking down with criticism, He looks down with that same sorrow and that same compassion. Have you ever been going through a tough day and you share your burden with someone and they try to fix it for you? <laughs> Sometimes that's real irritating. It's like, I don't want you to fix me. I'm already feeling bad enough about being broken. I don't need you to fix me. I just wanted someone that would listen. And more than listen, I wanted somebody that cares. And aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father, that He cares and that He listens? The first thing out of Psalm 103 that I want to draw your attention to is found in verse 1 through 5. We see that our Heavenly Father is generous. Look with me, verse number 1, where David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Watch this, and forget not all His benefits. The Bible says here that the Lord gives us some benefits. David said, furthermore, in Psalm 68 and verse number 19, he said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. He daily loads us with benefits. Preacher was talking to an older lady that had two teeth, and she's praising God. And he's saying, what are you praising for? She said, I'm praising him for my two teeth. She had two teeth in her whole head. And she's praising God for him. She said, look at him. She said, the top one lines up with the bottom one. Let's me chew my food. She's praising God just because the top tooth and the bottom tooth lined up. I mean, it could have been, I mean, there's a lot of options on the top and the bottom. <laughs> she's praising God. You know, if we would just look past all of the things that aren't the way that we want them to be and start seeing the things that God has done in our life, we would be able to say like David that God daily loads us with benefits. Well, we had a great rain yesterday, followed by some beautiful sunshine. You know what that is? That's a daily benefit that came from God. It doesn't have to be that way. There are places all over this world where they would have loved to have had a rain like we had yesterday. In fact, they prayed for it. But God blessed us. If we would just look, we would see that our Heavenly Father is extremely generous. I read in 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 25 that King Hezekiah was told that he was going to die. And he rolled over in his bed with his face toward the wall and he began to pour out his heart to God. Oh God, please. I mean, if you were to get that death sentence or whether it be from a doctor or from a prophet and 
you were to know that, hey, I've only got days to live, you'd probably pray the same way that Hezekiah did. He said, oh, please, God, give me some more time. And you know that God gave Hezekiah 15 more years? And this is heartbreaking. It says, but Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Hey, Hezekiah's sons would have been way, way better off. His sons were doing pretty good if he would have died when God said that it was time. But during that 15 years, Hezekiah didn't render to God the benefit. He became self-centered, and it was all about him. And that 15 years, almost, well, for the most part, completely undid all of the good positive influence that he had put into his own sons. And the next, his son that took over the throne was a very evil and wicked son, very wicked king. He didn't render according to the benefit. Look with me at verse number three. It says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all of thy diseases. It says in verse 4, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Hey, when I think of that youth renewed like eagles, an eagle is a majestic bird. Drove into the parking lot this morning. We had vultures circling around the parking lot. I thought, oh, no, I hope we're not a dead church. Hey, you're not dead this morning, are you? <laughs> something something just creepy about vultures circling around the church house. But uh, that eagle renewed, you know, the eagle is a majestic thing. But in verse 3 through 5, we see that God's benefits that he daily loads us with. There's forgiveness. There's healing. He rescues us. He gives us loving kindness. He gives us tender mercies. And, you know, I like that verse number five. Food. I like food, don't you? I mean, I'm looking forward to getting home today. My wife, I, th I requested this. This is really off the wall for a Father's Day meal. I said, look, I want you to fix some of those uh, those chili nachos that you fix. Now, I realize that's not prime rib, and I realize that it's, you know, kind of, it's an easy meal, right, honey? Easy. So I wanted to be a, I, I am not sacrificing at all. I love this stuff. And this morning, the smell was permeating the house. That and bacon. Man, I love my home. I mean, bacon bacon and chili nachos. And, and I told her, I said, look, I want, I want unlimited guacamole. Now, for some of you, you think that just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. But, I, man, I could eat guacamole till it's coming out my ears. I'm looking forward to it. I like food. And you know what? In this day and age in America, pretty much all of us, can say that God is really good to us when it comes to food. I mean, the restaurants are full, at least the ones that can be. The takeout's pretty full. Most people are full. I mean, maybe that's, 
uh, I was going to say maybe that's why there's a shortage of toilet paper. I don't know. <laughs> but we are so blessed with food, and we take God's benefits for granted. But I'm telling you, our Heavenly Father is extremely generous, and we should never, ever take His benefits for granted. Number two, if you look with me in verse number 18, excuse me, verse number 8, we're going to see that our Heavenly Father is gracious. In verse number 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Notice that God does get angry. Sometimes we forget that in this modern version of what we know as Christianity today. I mean, pulpits all across America don't even tell their flock that God can get angry with you and that God does get angry. Instead, they, they tell you however you're living is just fine and God just loves you and just the way that you, you don't have to change a thing. You know what? That's baloney. God loves us so much. Yes, He loves us as we are, but He loves us so much He doesn't leave us as we are. I thank God for that. That's not a condescending critical statement. It's that our God is a holy God and He will not, He does not like sin to be in His children. He doesn't. He doesn't want us to be worldly. He wants us to be holy like He is. He is holy but he is also, as we see, very, very, very good. He is merciful, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. Notice how that that mercy thing is repeated twice. We find in verse number 9 that he doesn't hold grudges. It says he will not always chide. Chiding means that he's, he's uh, given us that lecture. He's chewing us out. He's rebuking us. But he says he doesn't always do that, and neither will he keep his anger forever. Have you ever done anything in your life that you would fully understand if God held it over your head for the rest of your life? Hey, I got some skeletons in my closet that I know that, hey, most people, most humans would hold those things over my head, but not God not God. I've had times where I knew that God wasn't happy with me. I knew that our relationship was severed, and I knew that there wasn't that closeness and that sweetness. And then out of the blue, just things seemed to, all of a sudden, God start manifest, being real to me. And it's like, wow, I didn't I didn't think that God would ever want to be close to me again. And the whole time I read in His Word that God's saying, draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. Why is it that too often when we've done something we know is wrong, we end up kind of avoiding God when the best thing that we could do is come running to Him? Come running to Him for cleansing. Come running to Him for the help that we need. He's holy, but He's very good. He doesn't hold grudges. Notice in verse number 10 that God, I'm going to go ahead and give you my point before we read it. God is very unfair. <gasps> what are you saying? Isn't that the worst thing that you could say about anyone in 2020? 
someone not fair? Hey, God is extremely unfair. Let's look at it. It says in verse number 10, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Hey, thank God He's not fair. We don't get what we deserve. A college student went to the professor and complained about the grade. He said, I, I looked at my report card and I got an F. And he said, I want you to know, I don't think I deserved an F. And the teacher agreed with him. I agree with you, but that's the lowest grade I could give you. <laughs> you know what? God is not fair. And by the way, if, if, if you're trying to make everything fair in life, you, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> God's not fair. Now, God is just, and I thank God for that, but this fair... Hey, parents, you ought, you ought to take a lesson from your pastor who took a lesson from his own parents. When your children say, that's not fair. I, I, I don't know that I ever said that to my parents. Maybe I heard one of my sisters say it and knew that, oh, that's not going to go well. Or maybe way back then, maybe in my youthful ignorance, maybe I said it and then regretted it. It's like, ooh, that was not the right thing to say. You know, I, like, it, 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 you remember as a child that, have you ever gotten in trouble? Have you ever gotten a spanking when you didn't do it? Oh my, nowadays that, that would make you such a victim that you would just be it, it would be okay for you to just have bitterness for the rest of your life. You, you know what my parents would say? They'd say, well, too bad. That's for the times that you didn't get caught. Right? How many times did you deserve one and you didn't get one? Okay, well, you want fairness. All right, let's, when you find out about something later on, do you want, you want trouble? <laughs> Thank God our God is unfair. Psalm 130, verse number 3, the psalmist said, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, that means kind of mark them, make a list, highlight them. O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. God's not walking around the universe with a clipboard just waiting to put a... Oh, I, I, I know what you did. Man, I'm going to hold that against you. That's not our God. He's good and He's gracious. Yes, He is to be feared. And He is holy. And yes, He does get angry, but that is not at His heart. His heart is goodness and mercy and kindness. And then verse 11 through 12, we see that His forgiveness is total and eternal. For as the heaven is high above the earth... So great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Hey, that's as good as it gets when it comes to forgiveness. It is complete. It is total. It is eternal. And then, before I move on to my last point, in verse 13 and verse number 14, we see that He loves us even though He knows us. Look with me. We are opening text. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth 
that we are dust. He looks down and he just says, you know what? They're just descendants of Adam. They're just dust. And um, I think I'll just cut them some slack. Aren't you glad in 2020 that God somewhat seems to grade on the curve? I look at the state of Christianity today, and I'm telling you what, God is merciful. Aren't you glad that in our nation, and arguably we're still the greatest nation on earth, but aren't, don't you think that God's got to be grading us on the curve? If you look where we're at and where we've been and where we ought to be, God's got to be looking down on mercy and in graciousness on this nation. I was praying just last night right up here at the altar, and I was praying, God, please be merciful to our country. Be merciful to our leaders. Be merciful to our police department. Be merciful. God, we need your mercy because things just aren't going so well. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time depressing you with reality this morning. I want our focus to be on our Heavenly Father. And we can see that our Heavenly Father is not only generous, but He's also very gracious. And then number three, my last point, comes from verse 15 through 17. Our Heavenly Father is consistent. That's probably the hardest thing that I had to to be as a father, is being consistent. Why? Because life isn't consistent. Because I'm not consistent. I have good days and I have bad days. Sometimes when you're having a bad day, you don't even know it, but you end up taking that out on your loved ones. You don't, don't, maybe you don't mean to, but it just kind of seems to happen. Being consistent, being the same today as I am tomorrow, as I am the next day, that is one of the hardest things to be as a good godly father. But our heavenly father is unmovable. He's unchangeable. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee, and He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 15, As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him, and His righteousness unto children's children. In Psalm 27, verse number 10, the the psalmist said, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Folks, no matter what has happened to you, our Heavenly Father offers you security, love, and acceptance. Isn't He a wonderful Heavenly Father? I mean, think about it. He's generous. He's gracious, and He is consistent. I mean, what could make a father a better father than those three qualities right there? In conclusion this morning, I'd like to start my conclusion with a question. And this is a very important, a very sincere question. Is He your Father? You know, people talk about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. People will say, oh, we're all just brothers because we all came from the same place where the human race, we're all brothers. But listen, that is not a biblical truth. We are not all brothers because we don't all have the same father. In John chapter number 8, 
Jesus is having dialogue with the Pharisees. And you know what the, the Pharisees, the Jews, said to, to Jesus? They said, and I think they said it like this, Abraham is our father. I mean, they thought, who are you to tell us what's right and what's wrong? We're descendants of Abraham. And you know what Jesus said in his Christ-like manner, which that's all he could be, it was Christ-like. He said, ye are of your father, the devil. He told them what for. You, you think you're proud of being descendants of Abraham? You've got a spiritual father that is not Abraham, and it is not God. It is the devil. And when you think about it, doesn't that make sense that Jesus would say in John chapter number 3 that a man must be born again? We have to be born again because we come into this world with a spiritual father, and he's the devil. And that's why Jesus said, the works of your father you're going to do. You know why we act like the devil? Because naturally speaking, he's our daddy. And we bear his characteristics. We have to be supernaturally changed by a new birth. And that new birth comes by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So not everyone can say that God is their heavenly Father. But the question that matters here this morning, can you say that God is my heavenly Father? General Douglas MacArthur said this, he said, Build me a son, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know when he is weak and brave enough to face himself when he is afraid. One who will be proud and unbending in honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory. Build me a son whose wishes will not take the place of deeds, a son who will know thee and that to know himself is the foundation stone of knowledge. Build me a son whose heart will be clear, whose goal will be high, a son who will master himself before he seeks to be the master of other men, one who will reach into the future, yet never forget the past. And after all these things are his, add, I pray, enough sense of humor so that he may always be serious, yet never take himself too seriously. Give him humility that he may always remember the simplicity of true greatness, the open mind of true wisdom, and the meekness of true strength. MacArthur closed with this. He says, Then I, his father, will dare to whisper, I have not lived in vain. General MacArthur was so passionate about the raising of his son. He did not want his life to be lived in vain. The most important question here this morning is, did Christ die for you in vain? There was a mutiny at a military academy years ago. And uh, all of these students in the military academy, they refused to take their test. All of the rules, they were basically just saying, we're all together and we're going to do what we want. And they had an, a mass mutiny on their hand. The, um, 
the dean of students contacted all of the boys' fathers and notes started flooding in from the fathers of these boys and there was a, a chaplain that went in to try to resolve the matter and he talked to a few of the students and he could see that, hey, I'm not getting anywhere with these young men. And so he said to the dean of students, let me read these father's notes and maybe I can find something here that will help me talk some sense. He read one and opened it up and it said, the father said to his son, he said, I expect you to obey. Another one said, if you are expelled, you needn't even bother to come home. Another one said, I'll send you to an insane asylum if you're sent home. And another one said, I'll cut you off without a shilling if you disgrace this family. But one of the last notes, as he opened up the envelope, he pulled it out and he gleaned through some of the scriptural admonitions that this father was giving. And at the end of that note, that father said his son's name and he said, Steady, my boy. Steady. Steady. He was a man who believed in, in his son. Is God your Father? Is Christ your Savior? Do you believe in Him? Because He has demonstrated by His goodness, by His gentleness, by His graciousness, by His consistency, most importantly, by the cross of Calvary, He's demonstrated that He certainly believes in you. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 15, Paul said, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is a term of endearment. It would be our term as Daddy, someone that we're close and intimate with, someone that is not only our authority, but is also our friend. And the good news this morning is that God, our Heavenly Father, He wants to be your Father, He wants to be your Savior, and He wants to be your friend. But the rest is up to you. Let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, thank You that we can call You Father. Thank You for Your generosity, for Your graciousness, and for Your consistency. I pray, Father, that if there be anyone here this morning that is not saved, cannot honestly say that You are their Heavenly Father. They don't know You, or perhaps maybe they're not close to You. Whatever the case may be, we ask that You would speak to that heart and draw them to a right relationship with you. Help them to see your goodness and your graciousness. Lord, you said in your word that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So I pray that you'd have your will and way in our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? As the pianist plays softly, we'd like to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. You are invited to respond. You're welcome to come down to an old-fashioned altar right up here, these steps, and kneel down and talk to God.
We have men and ladies that would be happy to pray with you if you'd like for them to. We have men and ladies that can open up a Bible and answer any questions that you might have. If you're not saved, they can open up the Bible and they can lead you to Jesus Christ through the Word of God. Show you the things that you need to understand. Maybe you say, I, I, I want to do business with God, but I'm not comfortable with coming forward publicly. That's fine. There's nothing magical about walking up front. God's interested in where your heart is. And right where you're seated, your heart can do business with God. If you're not saved, then I would encourage you to believe with all of your heart and tell God something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I deserve to go to hell. But I know that you paid the penalty for my sin by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And I'd like to receive you as my personal Savior. Listen, if, if you'll ask him to save you, believing that he died on the cross for you, that he rose again the third day, he said, all that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. You can be saved this very moment. And you ought to get it settled before it's eternally too late. I wouldn't risk, especially in the world that we're living in today, I wouldn't risk waiting another day. I'd want to be saved before I left this building. Maybe you say, I'm saved. How is your relationship with our Heavenly Father? Are you close to Him? Are you serving Him? Are you loving Him? Oh, may God reveal to each and every one of us just how good that He is. It'll melt your heart. It'll turn your heart. You'd just be willing to look to Him and just see how good that He is.